Hey, everybody. So uh, before we get started, uh, I should mention, if you haven't listened to last week's episode uh, with Richard Terrell talking to me about design-oriented and the nature of critique and Ego Raptor and all that kind of stuff, you may want to listen to that episode before you listen to this episode uh, because it ended on what at least one listener called a cliffhanger, uh, which we resolve here. This is a direct continuation of that conversation. It was recorded at the same time. Uh, and although if you were to dive in right here, you would know we were talking about Zelda, you might not quite know why. So go do that maybe. <clears throat> okay, so it's November 22nd, 2016. I'm Drew Messenger Michaels, and today Richard Terrell and I resolve a cliffhanger on the Everybody's Talking at Once podcast. Uh, Link to the Past, opening a treasure chest takes, I, I don't know the exact time, but l- less than three seconds, let's say, right? Yeah, it's instant. And then you have a text box if it's uh, an item right. that you've never experienced. Whereas, exactly. Whereas, in the later Zelda games, every time you restart the game, it tells you what bombs are again, which wastes your time, well, right? Whereas, in the later Zelda games, there's, you know, the, the Ego Raptor talks about, like, the, the animation of Link being amazed by the fact that there's a treasure chest at all, and then whatever's in it, right? I mean, what is the correct term to talk about that? Because it is a waste of the player's time in so far as it's not, you know what I mean? It's not a waste. If you find it amazing. So so like, that's just, again, taking your opinion and trying to find a word that seems like it's critique to to match it up, (laughs) but it doesn't fit because like I said before, you can't find situations in games that you like uh, versus games that you don't, that don't have the same like degree of, you know, periods of activity or periods where there's text boxes or, or stuff like that. So if you're, if you're trying to point out a cutscene in Ocarina of Time and you're saying, oh, look, I got to watch it. So like the whole game has new new elements that they haven't done in previous games. They do more with 3D camera with more cinematic effects. They do more with storytelling, with uh, characters and their facial expressions and so on and so forth. That's just what the game is. And if you don't like story, your attitude is going to be, man, why is this in my face? And why can't I skip it? And why are these characters saying all the stuff I don't care about? I have Eagle Raptor quoted so many times in the story section saying, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Yeah, we get it. You don't like it. But it doesn't mean there's a design reason to justify why you don't like it. And it doesn't mean that waiting is that reason. It just means it is what it is. So well, that's, that's, okay, that's so, what I'm saying. Yeah, but so 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 the treasure chest example. And then, then I want to talk a little, because I think what he's complaining about, I think I agree that he's using the wrong terms. What he's complaining about when he talks about, I don't care, I don't care about the story. He's complaining about the fact that he can't sequence break, that he can't just go yeah, to a different that's, that's part of the map. About. Yeah. So, he, I mean, like, so, okay. So the whole video he goes through, he, he overscoped, which is one of the most common problems that you mm-hmm. see in video games criticism. And the reason why people overscope it's because they often feel a lot of things, but they don't know how to find the examples and narrow down the discussion to isolate exactly where the source is. So if you play three plus Zelda games, that is probably around 150 hours, 100, 150 hours of content that you're all trying to like process in your head at once. It's too much. Humans can't do that. So what is common in games criticism the most common pitfalls, I'll scroll up to show you what I wrote. 
do, 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 common pitfalls for games criticism, overscoping. And one of the problems of doing this is you open up more things that you to talk about that you can't handle in the time that you're given, uh, not comparing like to like. And people do that because they don't understand the underlying structures. So the person who would compare the Goomba color to Bowser's difficulty, uh, it's, it's not like 100%, but you would think they would compare that because they didn't understand that aesthetic differences in games may have nothing to do with the actual functional differences. And they think that comparison is just like, good one but you're saying you're sitting here going like that's not a good comparison those don't have enough to do with each other and it's evident because people contradict themselves as they search for examples when they don't have a, a good underlying understanding of the structures sure sure but, but again i think we want to make a distinction between what the argument is and how it's argued right because because we what i do want to come back to a little bit is like all the stuff about like uh, like shitty jokes, right? Like we've, we've talked about how some of those actually can detract from the point you're making. I don't know that all of this stuff necessarily does. I don't know that being hyperbolic, if if it's clear that you're being hyperbolic, necessarily detracts from someone's understanding of the larger point, right? But again, there is a difference between the older Zeldas and the newer Zeldas. And whether he's articulating it well or badly, I think it is a very valid difference to point out. I mean, like we can talk about Skyward Sword specifically if you like, but like... The, so, so I was replaying Wind Waker, which I really, really, I love that game, right? But um, <clears throat> I, I tried to sequence break just a little tiny bit. Like I tried to like get to the fairy with the, with the fire arrow or whatever it was early. And I was very proud of myself because I had like gotten an item I think I wasn't quite supposed to have yet, or at least it felt that way. And I got to the fairy and she goes, welcome Link, but it's not time for us to meet yet. And I have not played that game since. So okay. if we need a better word for that then let's come up with one. But the, the idea of gating the experience in the interest of story when the story doesn't actually require that gating is a phenomenon that exists very, very strongly in current Zelda games, where it's you're on, you're on a curated experience where you're led by the hand from this, this to this to that. Whereas in Link to the Past, especially once you get to the Dark World, you know, there's certain dependencies with items, but within a dungeon, you're not necessarily going to use the item you found in that dungeon on that boss. And although the so, dungeons have have numbers, you can hit them in different orders if you want. So right now, you just went through a ton of different categories that don't necessarily relate to each other at all. And this is kind of what I was trying to explain with Raptor: the, the fact that you're trying to think of so many different things to come up with, and you, you jump from example to example, you don't realize you're jumping from category to category and those things don't have any direct functional through line the well, fact so, that the, so the fact the secrets breaking is a level design issue uh, using the item in the dungeon is less about level design but also more about uh, design space and then when you're talking about uh, the certain gatings that they do it's like on a diff another level of level design altogether but those things don't directly compare uh, when then you say, oh, this situation's like on a on a curated experience. Well, that's that topic has been said before, but that's made up of level design and feedback design and all these other kind of things that players feel strongly about, but may not necessarily um, have any of the consistent underlying design reasons to make it one way or another. And whenever you're trying to tackle something like this, it's so important to just pick one topic to to talk about so that Is you can then. I mean, like. I I, I didn't interrupt. You I was can compare say, it. Yeah, yeah. I agree that they're three different things, but they're three things that are common, right? To all of the like three things that Skyward Sword has that that link be, link between worlds does not. 
number one, the idea that what item you get in a dungeon will absolutely predictably 100% of the time be used on the boss, which is just maybe a little bit stale as a trope, right? Then the idea of sequence breaking, which you can do almost completely in the original Zelda to a very high degree in Link to the Past or Link Between Worlds, and not at all in certain 3D Zeldas. And then the idea of explicit gating, like the thing in, uh, in uh, Wind Waker when you, you go to a part of the map you're not supposed to right away and the ship literally turns around and says, you can't go here, right? Mm -hmm. So those are three different things, but they all have more in common than they do differences as far as their effect on the experience and, again, how they differentiate from other parts of the series. So I mean, I'm not they, sure they, why they're out of bounds to talk about in the same breath. Well, they sound like different things, but again, whenever you come up with a topic, you have to do actual comparison to see if they're actually different between the games. And the original Zelda, kind of like what you were saying, has a bunch of gating as well. They, they start you off in a situation where you can't get to the hardest dungeons. And even though there's like, quote unquote, swordless runs and sequence breaking for the original Zelda, one, that game's not very good. Two, it, it's, it was like the initial idea of a nonlinear game which had its pros and cons, but all the higher level sequence breaking things that people did is not what I consider to be like the normal way to play and the mainline way to play. So like there's But it doesn't many stop things. you. I think that's key, right? Uh, it, it, it hardly matters. Like the Wind Waker glitches where you're using storage and swimming through the ocean, you could say they didn't stop you, but that is not what we're talking about. But they're about trying when, to stop you. When talking that's about design. really important. Like, so then two, you can't... So making the appropriate comparison across the game actually requires sitting down and looking at the cases. And you can't just fly past a bunch of Zeldas and then point out whatever thing comes on the top of your mind and be like, yeah, that, that's a huge reason because I remember it. Our memories aren't that good. The reason why I keep stressing over and over that people should actually list examples and give a, uh, a criteria in that sense is because you surprise yourself how little you remember and you surprise yourself with how how in a nonlinear game or like, yeah, in a more emergent or nonlinear game, how many different ways there are to do something that you would have no idea about unless you, one, went back to it and played it, two, experimented, or three, looked at how other people play it. So every time you say like, oh, this Zelda is this and this Zelda is that, it's like the overscoping problem over and over and over. And, and you can't bite off that much and then, and then argue specifics because you're not actually doing the, the due diligence of, narrowing down your topic, finding the examples in each one individually, and then then looking at the effects and what the results are. So yeah, all, all the Zelda games have some kind of gating. All the Zelda games have some kind of, of optional items. All the Zelda games uh, are also very different. Some are 2D, some are 2D top-down mostly, some have a weird mixed isometric 3D, some are full 3D, some use motion control, some don't. There's a lot of Zelda games and just quickly doing a flyby like, well now modern Zelda games are like this. It's also not effective because a lot of the modern Zelda games are DS and handheld games and those two styles of Zelda games, both 3D and handheld, have very different design philosophies and they often, like, when they're approaching designing these games, they're like, hey, let's do it in this style because we think it fits this situation or with this hardware. And then they, they go from there. So there's oftentimes multiple styles in quote unquote modern Zelda that are being fully articulated at the same time and like in the same generation. So, so like any kind of like, well, Skyward Sword was like very linear and handheld. Yeah, it was the most linear overworld progressing Zelda out of all the Zeldas, but there's also With a lot no of nonlinear ones. And, <laughs> yeah. and there's also a lot of uh, differences once you get into the dungeon. Like Skyward Sword had some really complex dungeons compared to a lot of other ones. And Wind Waker's dungeons are not so good. And the original Zelda dungeons are garbage. And the Link to the Past dungeons are simple but pretty neat. And the DS Zeldas worked on the 
Link's Awakening and Link to the Past style dungeons, but then added the extra dimensionality with 3D bosses. So many different cases to compare. And it, it's, it's so important not to bite off more than you can chew, even with the statement that seems so simple as, well, now all the Zeldas are handheld Well, yeah, the modern Zeldas are also more complex than all the other Zeldas, uh, old Zeldas combined. You have more complex controls, more complex environments, more complex stories, more complex everything. So, do yeah, you, you would need some no, extra help. Th- just you because do. there's more doesn't mean it's more complex. I, mean, I didn't this- say – so. oh, you want me to do a mechanical breakdown? Motion controls alone are more Oh, no, no, no. I was, ta- I was talking about narrative. The narrative is not more complicated. It's just oh. It just says it in 70 so, words instead of three. So you think the original Zelda has a, a, a complex, comparable narrative to Skyward Sword? you kidding plot? me? No, no, no. Of course not. No, no. Well, it doesn't have a comparable plot. But in terms of the stuff that actually matters, like world building, like... <clears throat> you mean the me, pixel details in the mountains really, really do that much more? For no, not at all. I mean, that, I mean that you hear at the beginning that you've got this evil guy who's taken over the world, and then you're in the world, and on the surface there's only monsters, and all of the people have moved underground into caves, and like that paints a picture of a world in much starker colors than God. Just like like Sky- Skyward Sword, just like the, everyone says everything three times, like all of those things. Like you just, it really treats you like you're dumb. You know well, what I mean? And that, that, that's, a, that's a weird way of saying it. But uh, I, I never, I don't like um, when people describe games patronizing them and developers thinking that players are dumb because for two reasons. One, players are dumb. You know why? Because there's millions <laughs> of them. And some of them are kids. Some of them are like dumb. You know, no offense to people who have lower intelligence. And some people actually do have uh, issues with reading or comprehension or whatever. So like there's a whole bunch of different people out there. Let's not disparage that. Two, even the quote-unquote normal slash smarty gamer types in their sort of, um, they make a lot of assumptions about how smart they are, yet they overlook so many details about what's happening in the game and what's being communicated, and it reflects in their in their ability to play. I mean, there's no question that Raptor is one of the worst players that is popular youtubers out there and like when he was doing his let's plays everyone in the chat and people watching him either uh on the videos or whenever he did live streams like why aren't you clearly seeing that you have to put the block on the switch and he'd be like there's nothing here that tells me what to do what's going on and he would just make some reason 3d zelda camera camera whatever i don't know what's going on and everyone's like it's so obvious so in, in a lot of ways his attitude thinking that he was smarter than the game blocked his ability to do well in the game and actually pay attention to the clues. So for me as an actual game designer and from the perspective of observing all these critics, people are dumb and they should they need all the help they can get. Hints are good and people need to stop complaining about it. Like you are not actually the super gamer that you think you are. You actually no, no, do no, no. It's, it, so there are two things. Yes, people people in general. This is not about people who play games. People think they're, you know, more perceptive or more expert than they are, right? They've done studies on this. Everybody right. thinks that they could probably fly a plane or whatever, right? Like every, <laughs> most people think they most people overrate their own expertise in all kinds of areas. But the other like the hand-holding thing I think is separate. I mean, and like it seems like a little bit of a cop out to say well little kids play these games because little kids play Minecraft. And like they play the PC version of Minecraft that doesn't even tell you how anything works, right? And yeah, they, they have to somehow get YouTube tutorials to get it started because that game has the worst intro tutorialization ever. And right, if it for wasn't sure. For YouTube, Minecraft would have never been successful. I think that's absolutely true. Do is look up how to play. <laughs> totally, but that's awesome, isn't it? I mean, it's not like, awesome. That's stupid. If you're why, gonna like, sell a product to someone and be like, you could give them some help on the very beginning in the super abstract world that they have to figure out how to do basic stuff. But to rely on videos 
if there's good videos out there, great. But you need to help the player directly instead of relying on all these other means. If, just to get started, like telling me about the controls and the basic crafting, that shouldn't be a trial and error affair. Playing the game should be what you're interested in. Which the, the no, Xbox version Minecraft does, the new versions do. But 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 my point good, was man. my point was not that that's better than not having a tutorial. My point was that all these little kids who are supposedly the reason the games have become so didactic seem not to give a shit because they will just go to YouTube. So it isn't for them. And it's not for somebody who's an experienced gamer and has played all the Zeldas. No, so, so who is so it going, for? Going to YouTube because you have no choice isn't a solution. And to say that they'll just go to YouTube anyway isn't uh, addressing the problem via design. We're talking about game design and what games can do on the first and what should be the last line of defense for communicating important information to the player. So like that, that's not a, a counter-argument saying, well, well, people will get help from their friends anyway. People will look up the answers on YouTube. That's beyond the scope of talking about what games are and how they're designed to avoid such problems. Totally. I, I'm not saying that's a great solution. I'm saying it might be not quite as bad as there being a giant, like paying the fun tax before you get to actually play the game. With the, Let's make sure you know how to jump. Like maybe they'll figure out how to jump when they need to jump. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think they're both bad solutions, but I think one is a bad solution no, that is bad no, for No, one everyone. is not a bad solution. One actually tells the player how to play the game and then lets them play the rest of like a 45, 60 hour experience without such explicit tutorialization. Like, I don't know why people keep complaining about the beginnings of games, especially Zelda games, knowing that they're for such a wide audience, knowing that you're going to have such a long adventure and knowing that uh, all Zelda games, both thematically story-wise and gameplay-wise, start off slow and low and then build up like why do they keep complaining about tutorials just because do they do they on. do they do keep tutorializing all the no way they don't every time if you, you restart if you, if the if game you look at the if you look at what so there was a glitch in one maybe 1.5 zeldas where they had text boxes continually tell you about things that you've already picked up if you had reset the game uh and saved and reset uh since the last time you picked up that item yeah that was a glitch unfortunate but that's not like a design philosophy then, was that and, a glitch? Because it seemed intentional. No, in, in, in the, Did they uh, patch it out? It? I'm thinking about in, Skyward Sword, right? You pick up a yeah, bomb know, and it tells you what one, a bomb is every time. Yeah, the one before Skyward Sword, it was a glitch. And then beyond that, they're like, okay, well, you've got to remind people how much the the currency is for a rupee or, or what's happening with the blue feather when you pick it up because you can collect so many different things. You know, we'll put the flavor text up. And like, It's not a big deal. It kind of like, is, not, though, when you're collecting not, them all the time. It's not even tutorialization. It's a reminder of what the con game's content is actually about. Like, And you can hate it, sure. Like, I don't mind. I like reading it, and especially after I've forgotten either what the description was or I'd never read it in the first place because I was mashing A. Having the information <laughs> pop up is not a big deal. Not to me. And yeah, I, don't, I don't know. I don't consider, I mean, if it, if it I don't consider them to be... I think there's a difference between it popping up and it stopping you dead. And that might be, this may be where the, where, again, and maybe waiting is the wrong word, but there's a category of when the game stops you from playing it. It's not a pop-up well, that overlays your gameplay. Everything you do comes to a complete halt so that you can be reminded what a blue feather is, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, there's a basic, there's a basic design philosophy that Nintendo does with just about all their games, but they don't buy into this ADD culture where people can multitask and micromanage and do multiple things simultaneously because, as research shows, people cannot do that, and that's not good for mental focus and clarity. So Nintendo will almost always opt for stopping and conveying information individually before moving on, whether that's a text box or a cutscene or um, whatever else. Like that's, that's how Nintendo does things, and, 
and it just makes the whole experience super clear and focused for the betterment of player information and education. So like that's the general design philosophy. So to me, it's not a, it's it's also a superior one if you want to talk about education design. But uh, there's never a detractor to stop and 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 be presented something clearly. I never count that as a bad thing. And even if I'm in a rush or I'm feeling like I want to get to other parts of the game, like that's just part of the landscape that I've already accepted is for my own good rather than just quote unquote getting in my way. And and I noticed that you're copying a lot of the language that Ego Raptor has in the sequelitis video from waiting to things that are stopping me dead and getting That's kind of intentional, right? I'm 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 I guess yeah. I'm trying to make the case because like it it's not the only way to analyze Zelda games by any stretch of the imagination. But I I don't agree that it that it lacks usefulness just because it's blustery or because it jumps all over the place. I guess this is the main thing that I wanted to talk about and we're getting to it like, you know, hours and and days and weeks end, right? <laughs> Which is like is there a goal for criticism even, right? Like, is there a style? Is there a set of criteria that are going to be useful? Because I, for one, found the Ego Raptor video useful in terms of encapsulating and, again, making clear what it is that I've been finding very dissatisfying about the last several Zelda games. And, like, he doesn't talk too much about the chaperone character, but that's another trope that's a really, really to my mind, a really big problem that it's because it's, it's, it's a really good example of how the tutorial's not over when the tutorial's over. You're still going to have a character telling you explicitly where to go and identifying a puzzle as a puzzle and telling you the solution to the puzzle or like if you take too long and like it, it, if, if the audience likes it, then the audience likes it. But I know there's a lot of the audience that doesn't. And I think to identify all of those things, even if it just becomes a, a fetch fest, and it's just a, a you know a list of complaints. I don't know that that's useless, even though it's fundamentally different from a deep critique of game systems. Well, my my biggest my biggest point about the Eager Raptor videos is, like I said before, it doesn't matter if he likes or hates whatever. And it's he's taking in general the right approach to trying to find examples and identify what he doesn't like. It's that every single statement that he makes in a video that he made thirty minutes long, so he put a lot of work into it doesn't make sense like 90 percent of everything he says doesn't make sense he doesn't make a valid comparison he doesn't actually define his terms he doesn't actually complete his thoughts on a lot of situations he just says things and then gives you the emotive experience that he feels so that if you share the same experience then of course you found another person in the world that feels the same way about something about this game that, that you know that they do so you're making a connection sure but ultimately if you actually want to think about uh, why he feels that way, why you might feel that way, what it is about the game that makes that come up. He did not do a good job because the closer you listen to him, he is not completing his statements. He is not comparing things well or like-to-like uh, -like comparisons. And he's just essentially ranting. His his whole video is essentially a list that could have been summed up in about a minute of just things I don't like, period. And like you don't need to couch that kind of uh, uh, expressive ex uh, presentation in 30 minutes and then do all this extra work finding examples when they're not going to serve your ultimate purpose. He should have just ranted. He should have just ranted. That's it's what the video was, but it, he did so much more work to make it not sound like a rant. But if you actually listen to him, like if you actually care what eager Raptor thinks and says, you'll listen to his words. When you actually listen to his words, like, wait a minute, so many holes here. Actually, there's holes here. Actually, you didn't finish your thought. Actually, I'm not sure what you're talking about. And that, I feel it's completely why this video fails. So the people who already share his same emotional experiences and reaction to this stuff, 
think he's actually making points? He is not. People who've just listened to his words, he is not making well, come on, he is, points. He is making no, points. No, he's not. Like, you're, you've, you've come up with a framework for judging. Like I, like, I think you might be grading an essay on a rubric for, the, for a class that he didn't know he was taking. You know what I'm saying? Like, like the fact that he's not making arguments uh, that, that grade well on a rubric designed for a certain kind of argumentation doesn't mean he's not making a clear argument. It just means that you're, again, it's not a like-to-like comparison on, on a level of his video versus somebody, somebody who's making the kind of stuff you're making. The intent so, is totally different. The, we can feel the intent, but he is not making arguments, period. An argument is not something that you, you can just come up with on your own. It's a structure in and of itself that's based on reason, logic, and an establishment of concepts that build on each other. That is without question what an argument is. So if you want to give something that's not an argument, like just a, an utterance, an evocative feeling, an emotional uh, expression, there's a whole category of stuff for that. But if you want to actually use words, use the grammatical structure to build logic statements and then connect those sentences together to build more complex statements to reflect the more complex world that is, you know, the real world and and then video games in a smaller sense and then even smaller people's reactions to video games, you have to follow the structure. And when I say that he's not making an argument, I'm saying you listen, just plain up listen to the words that he's saying and his sentences don't make sense. They don't connect. They don't respect the structure and they don't do the work to actually build those higher level uh, meanings, which I say is a shame because he spent 30 minutes and hundreds, I'm, I'm guessing hundreds of hours working on this video. And that's why that is such a shame. You don't do the work going like full in a direction only to be like, you know what? I should have just not jumped in this car and driven down this mile 99 miles when all I really wanted to do was take a sip of water at the gas station I was at back there. That's a waste. That is it's a distraction and it's a, it's a waste of his energy and it's a waste of people who think they agree with him because he's actually not, he's not doing the things necessary for the amount of work and the style of presentation he's putting in. But I think you might be doing the thing you're accusing him of a little bit, which is you're saying that he just doesn't like the games and he's coming up with a, 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 a not very stable argumentative or pseudo-argumentative framework to try and justify that feeling. I think you don't find his argument convincing, so you're kind of applying some pseudo-scientific criteria to why it's objectively not convincing. Well, so pseudo-scientific, I'm talking about the very fundamental ideas of what logic and argumentation are. This is not like crazy sauce. This is not some crazy theory <laughs> I came up with. This is how you make meaning. This is how words work. This is how structures are stacked on top of each other. This is not crazy. And I, I, I can walk you sentence by sentence and be like, what do you think this means? And then you'll probably be like, oh, I, get, I get what he feels. I'm like, yes, I know I, you get what he feels. That's because he's an incredibly evocative person and a good presenter. But what do you think he actually is saying? And then you'd be like, well, I don't know. Or he's saying this. I'm like, okay, then let's look at what he's actually showing on the screen. Is it that? And you'd probably be like, well, no, exactly. Okay, now let's look at some examples from the game he likes. So, Did you so find I a similar thing? I and then I, I could walk you through every single thing in this video to just be like, if you're listening to him, what are you really hearing? Not are you aligning with his emotional stance? Because he's not making arguments. First of all, that was a very good impression of me you just did. And secondly, let's do that. We'll give it like seriously, because I don't think that's true. Give me give me a sentence. I think you have some here, right? Yeah, let's see. Go from the top. He let's see general description, he has a personal definition, it's all of a sudden fine. Doesn't like to be told what to do. The whole game feels more processed and planned. 
yeah, yeah, Zelda was no hand-holding, no goal. What about the instruction manual? Eagle Raptor talks about the game. Let's see, you can run the real risk of facing off against something that will kill you in a second. Uh, Complaints raw gameplay experiences. With a lack of design, with adventure, and a Zelda core. A lot of charm with the original Zelda and how ruthless the game was. Uh, just because that's a pretty Zelda's good sentence too i mean <laughs> right a lot of charm of the first zelda was how ruthless the game was i mean that's true and the later zeldas are certainly less ruthless that's an argument uh, it's a statement <laughs> he's basically saying here <laughs> i like i like how hard the game is that's what the statement essentially says it's not right? just that he likes it but that, that that's what makes it it's what a, it is it's what he likes about it but but also that that like like it's core to what is appealing not just to him but like what what makes I the mean, game work. I mean that's a part of the game, so obviously that's what makes it work, right? Again, if you don't find it to be an interesting point, that's fair. But to say that it's not a coherent yeah. argument, I, no, I don't... no. I'm just saying this statement is a pretty simple statement. I like how hard it is. That's what he's saying right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, so, it identifies a difference between that game no, and the later games. In this not case. not exactly. To identify a difference, you actually have to break it down. This statement alone, right here. A lot of yeah, yeah, no, I agree. He Zelda. could have he could have gone into the quarter hearts in the later games. And, uh, I'm just I'm just saying like this statement right here. It's a very straightforward statement. I like how hard the original Zelda is. So I'm like, okay, well that's easy to understand. It's a very common common thing to uh, talk about. Uh, just because let's see. In relation yeah, he could have other... he could have gone into more examples, right? He could have gone into the the fact that mini bosses respawn when you leave dungeons, and you you when you come back to life, you only have three hearts, no matter how big your health bar is, right? Like there's there are supporting details that were omitted, yeah. But well, that doesn't make the point wrong or incoherent. If you want to actually make a point, here's what you say. Let's talk about difficulty design. The original Zelda is a game that's top-down fashion and uses a lot of lane and hallway design to funnel both enemies and the player into certain situations so that they become more dangerous. Because in top-down video game design, there's so much space to move, it's hard to create an actual threat on the player when everything is moving in different directions. So a common thing that is used is both uh, funneling with hallways and homing attacks, which you can clearly see uh, with Zoras in the original Zelda. That's the basics of how its uh, combat is designed. Combat is also designed around directionality. When Link strikes his sword, he stops moving and points it straight forward. This makes it hard to move, hit moving targets, but you're encouraged to flank things from the side and hit them from a safe enough distance as they keep moving at you. Uh, some enemies don't flinch, some enemies flinch, some basic things. As far as fairness goes for difficulty and combat design are concerned, the original Zelda does well with its basic enemies, but the further deeper you move into the game, not only... It's a game hardware unable to keep enemies on the screen when they are in excess numbers of, let's say, four. But the randomized AI of the enemies and your lack of ability to affect them from afar with ranged weaponry makes many encounters from the stall knights to the whiz robes to so many other enemies um, less and less fair. And also a, the randomized factor kind of drags out. Uh, and puts a randomized factor on uh, your ability to counteract them. So you, because you can only move close to hit them, you kind of have to wait till they teleport closely enough, and in a way that allows you to get close without taking damage, so on and so forth. You can analyze the fairness design and the level design, the variety of all these different enemy encounters throughout the game, and you'll notice that there's not a lot of variety. Almost all the enemy encounters are just rooms full of enemies moving around randomly. But two, the boss design and their hitboxes are... Somewhat janky in terms of being able to appropriately anticipate where the extent of their hurt boxes are, hit boxes are. And for a game that specializes in direct combat with melee attacks, this is a bit of an issue when, when you're considering fairness and 
how the player can build skill in order to tackle these challenges. Now that's a real analysis of the combat in Zelda. It's a bit janky, it's got a lot of random elements, not a lot of variation, and even though the game is hard because enemies either do a lot of damage or you don't have a lot of hearts, uh, both, both of those things can somewhat be mitigated by continuing to play the game. One, you can find hearts. Two, you can get potions. Three, you can upgrade your sword, which is common to all the Zelda games. So while the original Zelda game is hard, like in the sense that some of these janky elements are difficult to deal with, overall, aside from a couple of rooms, the game's difficulty is more or less in line with what you find in other Zelda games, except instead of killing you all the time and taking you back way far out of the way, they put you closer to where you died and they allow you to engage more quickly in the challenges that are more designed or designed to be more fair in later Zeldas. So if you'd like just getting your butt kicked because of random elements or jank, yeah, sure, that's what we that's what we all kind of understand to be the quote-unquote ruthlessness of the original game. But that's also what I call bad design, those random elements and jank, um, hard-to-determine interactions and hitboxes. So yeah, like that's the full analysis. You want to talk about combat design of the original Zelda, not just a simple statement that says, hey, I liked it. Like, yeah, cool. Sure, sure. Yeah, but so there's a really, really, really interesting conversation to be had there about how bad design can actually make a game more engaging sometimes, right? Like, I mean, a lot of the stuff, and I, I understand there's a global ban on mentioning Dark Souls, but when you talk about the original <laughs> Zelda, you have to, right? Because some of the stuff that is really appealing about, I'm, I'm thinking specifically of Dark Souls, like leaving aside the other four games for, for yeah. the moment, right? Some of the stuff that makes it really compelling is stuff that is kind of shit design that they, in fact, corrected in the later games. The fact that you can't fast travel and stuff like that. Uh, makes the game way less operable and way less fair. The fact that you can just run into the the catacombs right away and get stuck there, and if you can't somehow climb your way out, which is basically impossible as a new player, then you're going to delete that character, right? That's really bad design, but the ruthlessness, right, I think is probably a a similar word, is part of what makes the game compelling. And it's not going to be for everyone as a result of that, but it does sort of make it interesting. I think you're right that part of the reason the original Zelda is so hard is because the controls are kind of terrible, and because you really only have the four cognitive cardinal directions the the dark nuts are a kind of a fundamentally unfair enemy but wrestling with that system is still compelling and to what degree that's just because we were kids when it came out and we have stockholm syndrome is yet another interesting discussion but it's still and this is where i think maybe he got a yellow card for ascribing that to an intention on the developer's part right a lot of what's interesting about the original zelda is again just because they didn't know what the hell they were doing as far as open world games like they were they were writing the rule book as they went so the controls were probably about as good as they could be. I don't know that they intentionally made it janky, right? They certainly yeah, didn't. Yeah. In, you know, they certainly didn't intentionally design the NES to start flickering and slowing down if there's more than four <laughs> enemies in the room, right? Yeah. Some of that stuff emerges unintentionally, but it still makes it interesting. I mean, like the the flickering and the slowing down when there's more enemies in the room is actually kind of a fascinating thing to me because, again, clearly not intentional, but it's actually kind of what makes some of those really hectic rooms possible. Because yeah. although it wasn't the intent, you actually get like bullet time, right? You get a few yeah. seconds to fight the enemies more slowly than you normally would. So I told. Yeah, so I totally agree that like all of that, all of that stuff is quote unquote bad design, and I, I also agree that having uh, dungeons be these neat little packages where you know you're going to use the item halfway through and stuff like that is good design. But just because it's bad design doesn't mean it's not interesting to play, and just because it's good design doesn't mean it is interesting to play, right? That's maybe the layer of discussion that's missing. Sometimes. So okay, so then, yeah, like there's a really interesting point that you brought up about uh, Dark Souls because I'm actually working on a little thing that's sort of connecting a lot of the same beats that you you picked up on, which is neat. Uh, But like you said, just because it's a, um, 
you know, quote unquote, good or bad, or the or a game makes any number of missteps, quote unquote, uh, in its design doesn't mean that it has a direct negative effect on the end experience, or doesn't mean it can't be overcome in other ways or whatever. Like the door is open as far as how one individual design element can ultimately affect every single other part of the gameplay experience. And the wrong um, choices can be what people love about it. That's what's, that's what's kind of fascinating. Like, yeah. And, and people, people can like, you know, whatever. I think it's the fact that they can like whatever is not interesting, but the fact that uh, how they talk about it and what they identify and, and, you know, if they do any kind of critique or analysis after a fair comparison to other things, like what, do, how do they feel about it after going through that sort of process of doing their homework? And one thing I've been looking into with Dark Souls and Bloodborne, a lot of people latched onto the game and this quote unquote ruthlessness, which I call raw, raw game design. It's kind of like the, um, the undercooked cake, underbaked cake. And you're like, oh, it's kind of liquidy in the center. This isn't, <laughs> this isn't a cake. Like, yeah, but it's so chocolatey and good. And, mm, Cookie like, dough is delicious when it's raw. <laughs> and even though the eggs might kill me or something like that. But, like, I call it raw game design. And I've noticed that a lot of people, uh, like you said, have a particular affinity for it. And they like it. And here are some of the things that I picked up on on why they like it. It's in a direct contrast to what people normally consider to be, quote, unquote, good game design. So, you know, a lot of people have negative or more negative reactions to things like gating, tutorials, any kind of guidance, handholding, whatever. And they conflate all that stuff with, or they package all that stuff in together with what they don't like. So you get the opposite, right? Uh, games that don't teach you their controls, games that um, are don't really guide you into places that even you can beat, right? Games that don't even explain how their items work. Uh, all these sort of terrible things that the Soul series have sort of uh, introduced where people have to look up tutorials online and, and look up builds in other places and f- just to figure out how, what poise is and how it works. Like all this stuff. And in the case so, of Dark so, Souls 3, the answer turned out to be it doesn't, right? <laughs> Which is even more interesting. But yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> I feel like there's a re- uh, the exact opposite of good design is a lot of these raw elements and that's why people like it because they naturally conflate this raw gameplay experience to real life experience. They, they think these games are more real because they're quote unquote unfair. And just like real life, that's quote unquote unfair. They can play a game that's real and if they over or unfair and if they uh, like overcome it, it's like they overcome a challenge that's equivalent to sort of the severity and, and of real life. And that's appealing to them. And that's just all baloney. <laughs> like I, I can get that you can think about dealing, being dealt a bad hand after the fact and be like, man, I know that was a bad hand, but I'm going to keep trying it and maybe I'll get a good hand. This is exactly um, the kind of responses that people give to random elements, like with casino games and other things. They, they falsely think that their skill is more involved than it is. And when in the face of random elements, they often read into it incorrectly and think that there's more they could do than they can. And they put in a lot of time and sort of grind their way past the uh, the the rough, raw, troubled areas. And then when they eventually come out on top, they have an overblown sense of uh, accomplishment that's not necessarily skill-based or, or rooted in anything um, of any player agency. So... 
a lot of that is what you see is why the, the souls community probably sprung up so strong as they did, because it's like this little badge of honor that they wear, but you see the same kind of pattern in other games where they have random elements and other elements of unfairness, like roguelikes or whatever, speed lunky and different things where, yeah, I just need to get a random roll. I just need to get a random good combination. These keep resetting, keep resetting, keep resetting. And then they're just like sort of almost working against the system to control it because there's certain design elements inside of it that prevent the player from controlling it past that point. And I just think it's interesting that in the push away from what is consistent and good and skill-based and well-informed well gameplay experiences, they latch on to the opposite. And then what they say about these experiences is exactly what the good game design experiences have been about the whole time. Oh man, isn't it great that when you finally learn the boss, you like know all of its ins and outs and master it? Yes, that's a good feeling. That's what normal games do. They give you a fair boss challenge that you can learn and master. But what the Souls games do is give you janky controls, weird hitboxes, a weird like leveling system that either makes it to where you can be over or under level to fight the boss, and all these other weird stipulations that make it harder and harder to get to that good experience of mastering a boss and, and, and using your skill to overcome it. So in a lot of ways, I feel like if people gravitate towards raw design, in a lot of ways, it's just in reaction to not particularly liking the quote-unquote good stuff. But the fact that they talk about the good qualities that are in good design as the selling point of these raw experiences is highly suspect. Like you cannot tell me, you cannot tell me that the thing you like most about Dark Souls Combat is its fairness and its skill based, um, um, the way you can tackle bosses once you learn all their moves and stuff, and once you really get a feel for the system. Because that's what you do in normal games: you learn their moves, get a feel for the system, master the boss. It's just learning and execution, straight up. So the yeah, fact that they have to but go I, I all don't, the way I don't around. Think... I don't think most people would say that is what they like best about those games. They, that's that's what they've been saying. I've done a lot of research on. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, you you probably have a better sense of what people in general are saying than I do, right? <clears throat> Excuse me, but uh, I probably talk about Dark Souls on this podcast more than I should because uh, I bring it up to people who aren't that interested, and then I drop it, right? But when I talk to people about it who are interested, I I think it's more just there's two things. So so one thing is what you gain with that rawness is is an open-ended experience. So the one result of the weird leveling system is you can completely screw yourself, especially in the earlier games. And that's a very unfun experience. And they made that a lot harder to do in the later games with respecking and stuff like that. The other thing that it does, though, is lets you roll your own class and try crazy stuff. And, you know, you can be a thief pyromancer tank kind of a character. Mm. So that, I think, does feel like a, a soothing balm uh, if you're used to games that are a lot more prescriptive about what a class can do, where you have to, you know, roll a new character or start the game over to get a different experience with a Vanguard or, you know, like <laughs> the Paragon or Renegade thing or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. The the other thing is, I mean, we haven't talked about the narrative stuff at all, but people like that it's a little bit or a lot more opaque with the storytelling because, again, it's an antidote. Like, I think you're right, you're right to identify that what people like is a reaction against the stuff usually thought of as good. But instead of giving you a giant exposition dump, it lets you suss the stuff out or just not give a shit, which I think people, you know, uh, underestimate the value of that for some, which is that if you don't care about the narrative, it's there waiting for you if you decide you do care, but you can also pretty much ignore it. The third thing is that uh, I, I think it's not quite fair to identify it as, like, casino stuff, right? Like, it, it isn't, like, the games, with the exception of Bloodborne with the Chalice Dungeons and stuff, are actually pretty light on, on random elements. I agree that the games, like... 
I think what it is is that when you when you first start playing games, and like you say, this is why Nintendo is really careful about tutorializing again throughout, not just at the beginning, but. When you play games, you have this sense of like, wow, wonder and mystery. And again, like six-year-old me wanting to walk into a world or whatever, like I said at the very beginning of this conversation, any game can give you that. As you gain a lot of fluency and a lot of skills in games, you lose that. And so what the Souls games try to do is with the bluntest possible instrument, which is this gigantic difficulty wall and this, this, you know, these unwieldy, unexplained systems, is enforce that feeling of wonder. To make you put in the effort that you used to have to in order to rediscover what it's like to discover it, right? That's, that, a, that's, a, that's an interesting idea. Um, I, 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 I think I feel like I've come to a similar conclusion, but I, I would explain it differently. Like, the Souls games are appealing to a very low, very lower denominator of player that has rejected normal skill-based games, right? Like, so the RPGs in general, we all know RPGs have issues with uh, balancing their design spaces, with creating interesting challenges and avoiding so many issues like grinding and so on and so forth. Uh, but so the Dark Souls series started off as sort of an action RPG. So it still has a lot of roots in uh, stat tracking, leveling up, experience points and all that. And a lot of those players and the attitudes uh, that they developed playing RPGs have carried over into the Souls games. So in a lot of ways, if you are just used to turn-based RPGs or really other kinds of action RPGs, you play this game like, whoa, this is like skill-based, right? Like, yeah, because it's an action RPG and it is it is skill-based to a much larger degree than other RPGs that have come before it. So you're like, okay. So in, in some ways, it's like introducing something that an audience has typically not dabbled into in a way to them that's more their speed. So like, look, it's partially an RPG, partially an action game. Maybe you can enjoy both both uh, sides of the coin because we're giving you this really easy familiar RPG territory to be your uh, gateway. So th that's kind of like what happens whenever you mix genres or whenever you build a new audience or extend your audience by adding new elements into an existing series. But on the other hand, not that, not that the Soul series does stuff with random elements. They do stuff with uh, just unclear feedback, just really weird hitboxes, really... Unclear and inconsistent interactions with enemies and the levels and stuff, and, and people just call that in general a lot of jankiness, and that has the same kind of effect as as randomness does um, when you're talking about how players react to it, how they persevere through it, how they build skills around the jankiness, the kinds of things they do to avoid even having that jankiness be a problem, and that's kind of the same patterns you see with when people are dealing with random elements that are put inside of their uh, skill-based gameplay experiences. True, but you also see that with something like Melee, right? Where there are quirks of the game that are never going to get patched out, which become the basis for whole techniques. You know, it's not necessarily an invalid way to interact with a game. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, as a player, you're always avoiding either stuff you don't want to happen or moving close to the stuff you do want to happen. So it's not the fact that it's, um, that it's in the game that's as big of a deal as, well, okay, so how does this game... Uh, play like how does it present itself to most players how do most players tackle these challenges what are the ins and outs and if you just do a you know a, a careful look at what's happening in these games um you you can make your own assessment from there but the pros and cons of the jank either can have a huge effect or a small effect and that's up to the analysis to uh suss out and i think it has a huge effect i just don't like those games <laughs> it's just not not anything anywhere close to what i consider good like you need to fix your hitboxes you need to 
address all these issues. And I feel like Bloodborne, for the most part, addressed a lot of it, but it's still very low in terms of um, what I consider to be good 3D combat, what I consider to be um, a well-balanced, like, interactive combat experience. Yeah, see, I love those games, and I agree that the balance is terrible. And you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know that those things are mutually exclusive. I guess, I guess and this, this again, this maybe brings it back to the art thing to a certain degree. But like, if 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 evaluative criteria really do become just a, a way of uh, turning our own taste into metrics, then it's not that useful, right? Like, if your system doesn't allow for the fact that stuff that is outside of what you consider good design or good writing or whatever can work then it's too limiting a system. It's just an overly, again, pseudoscientific way of explaining your own biases at a certain point. Like, I, I, again, like it, it comes back again to just, this is coming full circle in lots of ways. The thing about how the questions about uh, a food critic, right? If you're not allowing for the possibility of surprise or the possibility of a combination of flavors that you never would have considered somehow working, and also if you're not you know, allowing for the possibility that something can not be your cup of tea but be extremely well put together for a completely different audience, right? I think of this a lot of the time with, like, really, really hardcore strategy stuff that I can't wrap my head around, but that, that people really like. You know, a lot of the wargaming stuff and stuff like that. I can appreciate it from afar a lot better than I can appreciate playing it sometimes, and that's okay. I, I just feel like it's it's got to be a little bigger and looser than that, or else you don't account for kind of anyone whose taste isn't yours. Does that make sense? Yeah, but the the real clear distinction to make is the DO design oriented scoring system doesn't have any ratings for what's said. It just rates how it's said, right? And, the, and the, all of the terms are pretty clear and objective based on um, just how people normally talk about things. Do you give a lot of examples or don't you? Do you do you state your opinion and is that the end of your conversation or do you dig further? Or do you? Do you curse a lot and, and disparage people, or do you not? Like those are things that easily. But those are two. Account. I mean, again, though, like, are, like those are two very different things, right? Like cursing a lot are, versus disparaging people. Well, yeah, but those are all things that have been counted, and as long as you understand what the the criteria is doing, then it's it's it works for you when you start considering like, well, what is the quality of this of this uh, piece of criticism? So, like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if you like a game or don't like it. It doesn't matter if you. Um, want to compare it to every other game in the universe or if you want to just focus on a really small aspect the criteria just says how do you go about doing it do you thoroughly list examples and make a case for yourself do you fly past things and just say like just trust me guys i know what i'm talking about do i'm you, a scientist trust me yeah sure do, do you uh, do you try to describe what the player is thinking and feeling because that's a very distinct uh, level in the in the argumentation field or do you just say like let me just list some games that i like and move on like it all the criteria does all the scoring system does is better uh, quickly and better communicate what how it's said not what it said and we don't we definitely don't take points off of quote-unquote correctness fact-checking truthiness it's one we can't determine that and two that's beside the point we want to give everyone a chance to say what they want to say effectively communicate what they feel and even be wrong we feel like that's important but we and that's why we don't judge any of those things we just judge how you go about doing it like we just score how you go about saying it so people can better anticipate i guess how much work you've put into it before they invest in reading it but like the val- like the the way the criticism comes across which is something really important to work on that i work on a lot in my stuff that's that's gradable and and the tips are helpful and and i'm going to look at my own stuff on your tool by the way 
but like uh, assuming some of it's on there i know you've looked at some of my stuff before but yeah. but the, like isn't the value of criticism ultimately about what it's saying like what how it's saying it tells you whether you're getting the message but like the medium isn't completely the message the message is the message so the the medium isn't the message but how you use it is the message like you can we can talk all we want about uh, words like semantic stuff, language stuff, phonemes, all this like cool languagey stuff. That's talking about the medium, and nobody cares about that, by the way. What <laughs> Lots people of people really, care about that. Come on. What, now. <laughs> but what really matters, like you're saying, is the message. But the message, 100%, goes through the medium. So the limitations of the mediums become the limitations of your message. And understanding that you 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 can't directly download your feelings or your perspective to someone means you have to go through a medium. Do you use images? Do you use words? Do you use uh, interactivity? Do you use motion, dance? I don't know what you use, but you have to go through a medium. And and that's all That's all the scoring system is saying. How are you using the medium? Not um, what the quality is of what you're saying. We assume everyone who's bothered to say anything, uh, that effort is highly valuable to us. That's why we we have all these different categories for how to sort your criticism. That's why we have uh, we separate between stuff that designers might want to listen to, journalists might want to listen to, uh, players might want to listen to, or uh, or otherwise. Like we have all these categories to be like, we know people say things for different reasons. We know that when they decide to say things, it's because they really feel strongly about this necessary and important part about uh, absorbing the world and then conveying it back out. But all we are trying to do is say, hey, it's not easy. Feeling it is not enough. Even trying to say the words is not enough. You have to go through certain steps. You, To your own benefit and for everyone's benefit, it's better if you avoid certain pitfalls and what those pitfalls are, how they come up, and what are the signs are essentially what this criteria is trying to help people see. Like, oh, being on topic is kind of a detractor. Like, yeah, it is. Because <laughs> yeah, if you're yeah. doing all this work saying something, and you're just like, I'm just going to throw in some random points. Some people are going to take those random points and argue them. Not important. That's off topic. Some people are going to be like, I don't know how the random points fit in. Off topic. Not important. You probably should have just stayed on topic because that would have saved all those conversations from happening and everyone would have been focused on what you're trying to say. Sure. Totally. I mean, like staying on topic is universally good advice, but like comparing things versus just talking about one mechanic in one game. Uh, Quentin Smith does that uh, that thing. Uh, was it called? Cogwatch? Is that what it's called? Uh, that is explicitly about one mechanic in one game. That's not a lesser form of criticism. It's just a more focused one. Uh, saying, saying the word fuck a lot does not make criticism intrinsically less valuable. It makes it less useful for certain kinds of classrooms. But not to put too fine a point on it, but who gives a fuck? You know what I mean? Like, depending on who your intended audience is, it just might not matter, you know? Oh, oh, I guess one thing I didn't say is the numbers don't mean, besides quality, like the numbers don't directly mean better. Like, you're not aiming for a high score. Uh, You're just aiming for whatever. And then whatever you do, you're trying to get a five in quality, essentially, right? So... It doesn't matter if you're going for a high argumentation or a low. It doesn't matter if you're going for um, like a huge scope or a very small scope. And it almost doesn't matter if you're going for um, a lot of examples or just one really great example. Mm-hmm. The point is you're trying to convey something and then the quality is where we put most of the pitfalls. So yeah, like getting a 55555 is great, but getting a 11115 is just as great. It's like, equally that's great. What, sure, that's sure. what you're trying to say. I think yeah, that's what yeah. you're trying to say. Well, it's I, I, yeah. I mean, I suppose. I guess I'm asking you if that's the intent more than anything. 
yeah, like the numbers are just there to get you a better idea of what's in it and how, how it's uh, doing it. Not You're not supposed to look at it and be like, ah, it's 25 points. I'm better than you. Like, no, it's, it's just trying to give you an idea of scope and, and argumentation and examples. And then from there, you can start um, crunching some numbers and be like, well, the more the higher people's scope and the less examples they have, the lower in quality their overall um, critique is. Well, that's stands to reason, right? The more you try to say, but the less examples you give, the less clear you're going to be. So like, oh, well, that makes sense. But as far as running numbers and metrics or, or numbers and crunching numbers on all that, like that's not really important to us either. We just created this system to even start the conversation of the way people talk about things is different. You should probably be aware of how they talk about them because that's how they're getting their message across to you. And if you have a preference for one style versus another, this system will really help you narrow down the kinds of criticism you appreciate and look for most. I think that's key, right? Because again, the goal is not just to find people who already agree with you about everything or who have precisely your style, but to even have the language to talk about the differences. That's the main yeah. thing, right? Like that's how you start conversations like this about like why why the Ego Raptor thing works or doesn't, or why we agree about most of the important qualities of the Souls games, but the things you hate about them are kind of the things I like about them. And that's that's fine, right? Like, that's that's an interesting thing to talk about, even if it means I have terrible taste, which I've been accused of in every medium I've ever studied, and which I wear <laughs> as a badge of pride. But it's, it's, it's like, just having the language to talk about it, I think, is the, the overall project. And that is something that game uh, criticism, game writing in general, resists very fiercely. Like, it, 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 it takes a certain pride, and maybe this comes back to this, the centrality of news and reviews type sites, but it, it, it almost, like, runs in the opposite direction sometimes, and, and anything that moves us into a more robust conversation, I'm all for, you know? Yeah. Man, I could probably talk about Dark Souls hitboxes, uh, which is which is one of the few parts of the games I will make no attempt to defend ever uh, for, for a long, long time. I mean, again, like, especially in Bloodborne, like, they're, they may, the hitboxes make no sense, but they are consistent internally. So anyway, that's, that's probably a whole other big topic. All right, man. It was a good talk. Yeah, talk soon. Have a really good one. Don't let